Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. This morning, we are continuing a series that we've been in for a few months now in the book of Acts, and we're nearing uh, the end of Acts. We're in this uh, section of the book. Remember, Acts has been the story of the early church, those first Christians as they took up the task of spreading the good news of Jesus around the world. In this back section of the book of Acts has been mostly about the Apostle Paul, uh, his arrest, and now him kind of going from trial to trial. If you remember last week, Willie uh, preached on uh, this nearly missed attempt uh, to uh, kill Paul in an extrajudicial killing, not waiting until his trial, but a group of a mob trying to kill him. He escapes uh, through the courageous work of his nephew. Remember that story? And now he's been sent uh, to Felix's palace. Felix was the governor over this area. He's sent out to Caesarea, which is out on the coast. It's the place where the Roman governors who ruled over Judea and Jerusalem and all that area uh, kept their court and their palace. And so now he goes there. Uh, The lawyers for the Jews who sought to have him killed make their case. Paul makes his appeal and his plea for innocence. And now we get Felix in his response Uh, to those arguments. And so, um, if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Our scripture reading this morning is Acts chapter 24, verses 22 through 27. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came together with his wife, Drusilla, who was, a, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in, Christ, uh, faith in Christ Jesus. And he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, "'Go away for the present.'" When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Saul, or by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. In desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. You can be seated. So we're here once again Uh, with Paul on trial uh, before the governor of this Roman province. We've seen uh, Paul on trial before, just as we saw Jesus on trial, didn't we, before the Sanhedrin and before Pilate. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his great uh, little apologetic book, God in the Dock, says this. He says, The ancient man approached God or even the gods as the accused person approaches his judge. For the modern man, the roles are quite reversed. He is the judge, and God is on trial or in the dock. 
Now, he's, a, he's quite a kindly judge if God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease. He's ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that man is on the bench and God is on trial in the dock. You hear what he's saying? He's saying that for most of human history, human beings lived with this sense of accountability before God, however they thought of him. They might have been a Christian or a Jew or some other religion or no religion at all, but they basically had the idea that there's a God up there and that we're accountable and that he's the judge and that in some sense we are on trial. But Lewis writes that in modernity, it's now men and women who've put ourselves in the seat of the judge. And we believe that God is on trial, so we'll give him a fair hearing. We might even uh, read the Bible. We might read books about him. We might try to consider how much his claims square with what we believe to be true. And if we feel like it's a good fit, we'll judge God innocent and welcome him into our lives. God is on trial, and we've appointed ourselves the judges. And so Felix finds himself in this kind of situation where he is the judge. In the gospel, God himself, through the message of the gospel, through his representative Paul, is the one on trial. And what we see happening with Felix is something that we see all over and over again in the gospels, which is that people come to Jesus seeking to put Jesus on trial, to test him, to catch him somehow. But then Jesus ends up reversing the tables, and we see that it's really them that's being exposed and laid bare and held to account. Right? We see it in the Pharisees when they come to test Jesus or to trick him. We see it in the rich young ruler who comes to put Jesus to the test asking, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? We see it in the lawyers who come to Jesus and say, well, exactly who is my neighbor that I should have to love him as myself? And Jesus, through a question, through his interaction, turns the table in such a way that now the judge, the self-appointed evaluator of Jesus, finds themselves evaluated and exposed and laid bare. This is a theme that we see over and over again, and it's something that needs to happen in each one of our lives, right? Each one of us needs to have this experience of going from a place where we believe that we're this kind of passive judge of the gospel. Does Jesus square with my worldview? Does he not square with my worldview? Does he fit what I already believe? Does he not fit what I already believe? And we have to, like Paul, remember Paul got knocked off of his horse on the way to Emmaus? knocked down, blinded by the light, we have to get knocked off of our high horse, in a sense, and be exposed to see, you know what, ultimately it doesn't matter whether or not Jesus fits my preconceived ideas, whether he makes sense in light of my worldview, but whether or not I'll align my life with his, whether or not I'll allow him to teach me and to reorder my life. That's the question that's going to get presented to Felix today, and it's the question that comes to each of us. So Felix, when we meet him here today, has just heard the story of Paul's uh, accusers, that he has denigrated their religion, that he's defiled their temple, that he's a heretic by their standards. Paul has appealed back to Felix, no, I'm not. Uh, I am a faithful Israelite. I believe in the resurrection. I've not caused any trouble. I'm, I'm just another Israelite believer. 
who believes in resurrection. And so Felix, interestingly, refuses to convict Paul, having heard him. And we get this detail in verse 22. Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off. You know what it's saying is that he refuses to judge Paul, and the reason is because he has a fairly accurate knowledge of the way. He has a working knowledge already, a familiarity already with Christianity, with this emerging uh, new sect that's coming up within uh, the Israelites. Maybe he had this acquaintance with Christianity through his wife, Drusilla, who was herself Jewish. We don't know how he came to this knowledge of the way. But we're told that he had a rather accurate knowledge of the way and that it was a generally positive knowledge, right? That he was at least predisposed enough towards the way of Jesus that when, uh, that when Paul came to him, he delayed execution. He delayed judgment over Paul because he was already a little bit familiar with the way. To be sure, there are plenty of people in their world, as there are in ours, who are, who are a little bit familiar with the way, who are a little bit familiar with Christianity, but their views of it are largely negative, right? They understand something of the church, but they believe it to be whatever, rigid, judgmental, um, hypocritical, right? There's people that have some knowledge of Christianity, but what they know of it has led them to put it at an arm's distance, believing it not to be a good force in the world. But Felix is somewhat different. He sees Christianity, he sees this emerging way, and he's at least well-disposed enough of it to not judge Paul, at least somewhat warmly disposed towards it, and yet carefully in the position of an outside observer of the thing itself. I think we have this a lot uh, in a city like Jacksonville, right, in the, in the American South, in the, in the very edge of the Bible Belt. Right, that most people have some type of working knowledge of Christianity. Right, it's rare that somebody comes to church, and it certainly has happened, and I start talking about Jesus, and they go, Jesus, who's that? Never heard of him. Right, we live in America, a country that has a great deal of Christian history. We live in the South, where there's a great level of church uh, saturation in our community. And so most people, whether they're believers or not believers, have some knowledge of the way. They might be disposed towards it or against it, but it's not entirely foreign to them. I've talked to you before about my friend in Afghanistan who uh, works going from village to village, trying to plant churches and spread the gospel, right? He's in an entirely different se setting where he goes into a village and he actually considers himself incredibly blessed if he runs into somebody like Felix, right? He, and sometimes he'll go to a village just praying that he meets somebody like Felix, not some, somebody necessarily who believes, but somebody who at least doesn't hate him, right? Somebody who at least is willing to work with someone who believes, someone who doesn't persecute him, somebody who's at least knowledgeable enough to be permissive of the way. And so here's Felix having an accurate knowledge of the way and yet sitting on the fence, detached and observant. And so what he does is he uh, commits Paul to arrest. He puts, you know, the Romans had different levels of arrest. Uh, there were different levels of custody that the Roman government could take someone into. And here he brings Paul uh, into almost the lowest level of government custody, right? It's not quite house arrest where he would just be told, go home, don't leave. 
It was a rest. He was told to be kept in custody, but every one of his friends was supposed to have access to him. Any needs that he had, they could tend to, they could bring him food, they could bring him what he wanted. We see this uh, imprisonment dynamic happening in some of Paul's letters where he'll write to his friends and say, hey, when you come, bring me my coat, bring me my copies of the scrolls, bring me some stuff, right? So he had this, yes, he was under custody, but as a Roman citizen, as someone who wasn't yet convicted, he was given a fair amount of liberty in this setting. And so there he is in jail, waiting while Felix sits on the fence, positively disposed to Christ, but noncommittal. And for Paul, that's not good enough, right? It's interesting. You'd think Paul, uh, if I was Paul, I might be thinking, hey, look, of all of the different governors I could have gone to, of all the Roman judges I, I might have found, at least I found one who doesn't hate me. At least I found someone who's not out to, like I used to be, to kill Christians and prosecute those of the way. But what Paul knew, what Paul understood was that it wasn't enough to be on the fence, that it wasn't sufficient for Felix to be generally well disposed towards Jesus, that the claims of Jesus actually cut much, much deeper than that, that he invites each of us off of the fence, right? Remember what Jesus says, whoever's not with me is against me, whoever's not for us is against us. And so Paul presses the issue on Felix. He begins to present the faith in a way uh, that starts to make a claim, not just on Felix's uh, judgment of Paul, but on Felix's own loyalties, right? Because what Paul knew, what Paul understood is what Jesus said at his ascension, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, has been given to Jesus. And so in this setting, while it might look like Felix has all of the authority, and Paul is the helpless, imprisoned one. What Paul really knew was that Jesus has all of the authority, and Felix himself is under that authority. But ultimately, Felix is going to have to make a decision that goes beyond just warm feelings towards Christianity and the gospel and makes a decision. And so Paul begins to, to present his faith to Felix. The first thing that we learn about the way that Paul presents his claims to Felix is here in verse uh, 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who is Jewish, and he sent for Paul, and he heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. So he calls Paul back in, and Paul begins to speak, and what he speaks about Uh, The author of Acts, Luke, summarizes as he speaks to him about faith in Christ Jesus, right? Paul, when he's given the opportunity to speak, he doesn't start speaking, defending himself. He doesn't make an argument for his acquittal. He doesn't make an argument for why he ought to get out of prison. Instead, he starts talking to Felix about faith in Jesus Christ. It's amazing that for Paul, he cared more about Felix's imprisonment to sin and his guilt than he did about his own bodily imprisonment. He said, I'd rather, I'd rather talk to this man about Jesus than I would argue for my own freedom and to ease my own suffering. In his preaching, his, his conversation with Felix is about faith in Christ Jesus. He wasn't simply presenting the facts about Jesus, that there was somebody who died in Nazareth, he had 12 followers, he died, he rose again. 
right? But it's particularly the offer of faith in Christ Jesus, right? That he's not just after Felix knowing Jesus, knowing about Jesus. What he's doing is presenting Jesus as an object of faith, presenting him as Savior, presenting him as one who's worthy of Felix's trust, right? He's inviting Felix to get off of the fence and to place his trust in Jesus as Savior. You know, there's a world of difference, isn't there, in our lives between knowing about something and trusting something, right? Knowing something is true to the, to the point that we can trust in it. Right, Felix at this point is a man standing by a lake wondering if it's frozen solid enough for him to go out on the lake. Right, he's testing it, he's wondering, he's keeping his distance, wondering if it'll hold him. And when Paul comes to talk to him about faith, about trust in Jesus, he's not just offering him more news about the lake, he's not just explaining to him about the lake, he's inviting him to get out on it. He's inviting him to say, you can trust this. You can place faith and trust in Jesus. He can hold you. He's able to entrust your life to him. Not just that it's true, not just that it matters, but that it matters for Felix, that it matters for each of us, that we can come to a working, saving, functional trust in Christ as our Savior who is who he said he is. And then he sends him back, sends him back to jail. This is fascinating. He sends him back and he brings him out kind of over and over again. We get the impression again of this guy sitting on the fence. He wants to hear from him, but he's not sure enough he's right to let him go. And we get the detail that he's hoping that Paul will bribe him to get out. Did you catch that? He's hoping that Paul will pay him. We think this is because, remember, when Paul came to Jerusalem, he came with an offering for the believers in Jerusalem, right? He had raised money among the Gentile churches, then he took it to Jerusalem. So Felix is going, hey, this guy, if he's not rich, he at least has access to some money. So maybe if I keep him in jail long enough, he'll bribe me, to let me to, so that I let him out. And then in the, in the subsequent uh, description in, chat, in verse 25, we learn more about what Paul was saying to Felix. It says, and he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. And Felix was alarmed. Three things uh, Paul begins to press on Felix. Righteousness and judgment. Self-control and the coming judgment. Right? Righteousness and justice. These are two versions of the same word. Uh, righteousness and justice have to do with being judged and found to be right to be in the right. And he begins to talk to Felix about being righteous, about being just. I believe this is the same conversation that we get to listen in on a bit when Paul writes to the Romans about a righteousness that is a righteousness from God for us. Right? Not There's one way of talking about righteousness, about is that a righteous person or an unrighteous person? Is that a just person or an unjust person? But when Paul talks about it, he says, no, no, the righteousness of God isn't a righteousness that we produce and offer to God. It's a righteousness that God makes available to us through faith in Jesus Christ, right? It's Jesus's righteousness given to us as a gift, 
what Martin Luther called an alien righteousness, a righteousness that's outside of us, alien to us, that becomes ours by faith. So when Paul sits down to talk with Felix about righteousness and justice, here's what I think he was saying. Look, Felix, you and I both know that you are neither a righteous nor a just person. Felix had a reputation for being corrupt and ruthless. He was known as a harsh judge. He was known even in this, I mean, look at him here. He's looking to bribe, he's trying to get a preacher to bribe him to get out of prison. This is somebody who used his power for selfish gain. He used his power to manipulate and get what he wanted. And so Paul looks at him and says, hey, Felix, let's talk about righteousness. And let's talk about justice. How are you doing with that? Because I know and everyone under your rule knows that you're doing terribly with it. You are not righteous and you are not just. But Felix, there is a righteousness and justice available to you from God that as corrupt as you've been, as broken as you've been, as warped as you've been, can still be given to you. Right? That God would even offer his righteousness, his forgiveness to someone who was a corrupt oppressor of his people simply through his grace and the offer of faith in Jesus Christ. Says Felix, let me tell you about righteousness and about justice and how it can belong to someone as unjust and unrighteous as you are, and it has nothing to do with you. It is the gift of God. But then he goes on. He talks to him about righteousness and justice, and then he starts talking with him about self-control. You go, okay, we know that at the end of this, Felix gets angry and sends Paul away. Well, what's so, why, why does he get so angry? What is there to get angry about? about some, maybe he got angry because he was talking about righteousness and justice. But I think it's when Paul starts going after self-control that Felix begins to turn on him. You know, over and over again in the gospel stories, we get these narratives of Jesus where somebody comes up and starts talking to him. And then he sees through them, he sees through their questions, he sees through their defenses, and he puts his finger right on the sensitive spot of their life, right on their idolatry, right on their patterns, their addictions, those things they can't let go of, right? Remember Jesus and the woman at the well, hey, go call your husband and come back. Funny thing about husbands, I I don't have one now. Uh, He said, yeah, you're right. You've had five and now you're living with a dude who's not your husband. Right, and Jesus is going after that thing not to cause pain for her, right, not to drive her away, but in order to show her the emptiness of the path that she's chosen. He says, go call him and come back. And then from there, he talks to her about living water. Or maybe Jesus and, uh, and the rich young ruler, when he says, look, Jesus, I've kept the entire law. I've done everything. And he says, great, good job. Go sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And he said, man, but didn't you know I'm the rich young ruler? Like, it's, it's the richness that, that is kind of part of who I am. I can't do that. And so here with Felix, Paul, I think, does the same thing. He says, Felix, let's talk about self-control. Because what Paul knew is the same thing that everybody knew in those days, which was a story about Felix and this woman, Drusilla. Drusilla was the daughter of Herod the Great, 
She was the sister of Herod II. And we are told, we know in history, that she was renowned for her beauty. Everyone knew how hot Drusilla was when she was younger. And one day, Felix, the governor of the area, more power, you know, she came from a powerful family, Herod and, and the Herods. But he was Felix. He was the governor. He brought with him Caesar's authority everywhere that he went. And what we know is that Drusilla was married to another man. And Felix came in and he said, "Uh uh-uh, I want her. And he took her to become his third wife. And so now when it just, you know, in our story, it just says Felix's wife, Drusilla, who is Jewish. But what everybody in that story knew, what everybody in that world knew was the story of how Felix and Drusilla met. And what they knew was how uncontrolled Felix's lusts were. That he was the kind of man who when he saw something he wanted, he took it. When he saw something that satisfied his appetites, he didn't care who he stepped on or who he hurt. He was going to get what he desired. He didn't care about the rights of wives and husbands. That he was a man of utter lack of self-control. And so Paul starts unfolding what the Bible teaches about self-control. Having talked to him about righteousness, a freely given righteousness, given from God, I think this part of the story goes, all right, Felix, let's talk about self-control. Let's talk about what you know to be true about yourself and what I know to be true about yourself, which is that you are a man whose appetites run his life. You are someone who is, who is incapacitated by desire. Someone who doesn't know how to say no to himself. And Felix, I've got good news for you. That when you receive this righteousness, when you uh, believe in Christ, a new power will come on your life. A Holy Spirit, one of whose fruits is self-control. Here's a book I wrote to the Galatians all about it. That the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That Jesus, when he fills your life, is going to give you a spirit. And all of a sudden, you who have been ruled by lust, ruled by sex, ruled by desire, you are going to have a new power to deny yourself, to say no to yourself, to curb and brittle your desires. And you will become able to be someone of self-control. He says, in effect, Felix, look, you don't have to live this way. You don't have to be a slave to sin and to lust. Grace can free you from that. Right? He's offered him grace. He's offered him a new righteousness, a new justice. And now he tells him that this new life this, new, this, this newfound faith will enable you to live a new life set free for the freedom and joy of love and no longer for lust. And I imagine that this has something to do with why Felix sends him away angry. That Felix wasn't particularly interested in gaining self-control. Right, notice the, the order in which Paul presents it. Right, he's not a legalist. He's not telling, he doesn't say, Felix, look, 
Let's talk about self-control. Clean yourself up. Say no to sex, right? Uh, Become a self-controlled person, and then God will forgive you, love you, and accept you. No, he starts with righteousness. He starts with the gospel and then invites him into self-control. And these two halves of the gospel are always true. Paul tells us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, right? It's not our, a lot of times we feel, a lot of times preaching practically works out that if we're scared enough of God that we'll then repent. But that's rarely the way that it works, right? Normally it's the glimpse of God's kindness, the glimpse of his mercy, the offer of his grace that frees our hearts and prompts our hearts to repent, that says Jesus is better. God, life with God can be better than my uncontrolled, rampant life. It's worth noting here, uh, in case you haven't figured this out, that this lands pretty close to home in our culture today, right? That we live, uh, we have become a culture of Felixes. Felix I? Felixen? Felixes. We've become a culture of Felixes. Right? We've, come a, we've, we've become a culture that doesn't know how to say no to our own impulses and desires, especially in this area of sexuality. Right? Every one of us has more power today than Felix had back then. Right? You have at your disposal access to the gratification of your every desire, every whim, and every lust that only the most powerful people of the ancient world could have possessed. Right? Most of you carry more temptation in your smartphone than most generations of Christians had ever experienced in their lives. Right? We live within a world that says that it's not only, uh, not only do you not have to exercise self-control, particularly in this area, but that it's actually immoral to exercise self-control in this area, right? That to deny Every desire, every lust, every want is somehow a form of repression. And yet Paul says that self-control is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that it is no more moral to gratify every one of those desires than it would be to seek to gratify every single one of your financial desires and become a thief and become greedy. Right? Than to satisfy your every desire for anger and become a murderer. Right, that by nature our desires will lead us astray. By nature our desires become something that if we're not careful rules over us in such a way that it diminishes and destroys us. And so the gospel calls for this twofold response. Receive the freely offered grace of Jesus and then learn his way. Right? Felix had to go from someone who just was a little bit familiar with the way to someone who took on the way. Someone who heard Jesus' call to take his easy and light yoke and burden on himself. To do what Jesus said when he said, anyone who would come after me must deny himself, self-control, take up his cross and follow me. So he talks to him about justice and righteousness. He talks to him about self-control. And then he talks to him about the coming judgment. Right? He says, look, Felix, I know right now you're the judge and it feels really good. 
It feels awesome to be in power and to be evaluating everybody else. But let me tell you what's coming. That every one of us, from the highest to the lowest, from the most powerful to the least powerful, from the folks who live by the side of the road and those who live in palaces, every one of us will be held to account by God. Right? Every one of us will one day find ourselves in a position where it's not us judging God, but us who find ourselves exposed and judged. And in that moment, Felix, you're going to want this righteousness and this justice. You're going to want to be able to claim not your own goodness, not your own self-control, but you're going to want the righteousness given to you as a gift by Jesus to be able to appear before God without fear, without guilt, without condemnation. Cover yourself, Felix. Repent. Believe. Free yourself from this coming judgment. And instead, Felix is alarmed and says, go away for the present. He says, no, Paul. This is too much. Go. I'm not dealing with this right now. For many of us, it is too much. We've lived our lives and it feels like the call of the gospel asks too much of us. Many walk away from this incredible free offer of salvation, of perfect righteousness offered to us as a gift because we become offended by the offense of Jesus' diagnosis of our hearts. Right? That you, this righteousness is available freely for everyone who confesses that you are a sinner in need of salvation. And for many, that offense is just more than we can bear. To admit that we really are broken, that we really are sinful, that we really are as bad and as, need, as in need as Jesus says we are. Maybe you're here and you're like Felix, and you've been on the fence about Christianity for a really long time, wondering whether or not you can afford to get off the fence. Right? Whether, wondering whether or not you can go from being kind of passively aware of the way of Jesus to fully embracing it by faith. The message that Paul offers us here is that what Jesus offers is so much more than what he demands. Right? That the free offer of the gospel, freedom for new life, free of sin's penalty, free of sin's power, is the life that you've been searching for and longing for. And you can come off the fence and follow Jesus. For others of us, maybe Christianity has grown somewhat boring. Right? It feels like you've become a little bit like Felix. It's like, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I'm aware of it. Yeah, I read my Bible every once in a while, maybe. I pray when I'm in trouble. The gospel has this power to do everything in our lives except for bore us. Right? If you're, not, if, if you're dealing with the real Jesus... If you're dealing with the real gospel, it ought to alternatingly exhilarate you and offend you, but never leave you bored. Right? It ought to move your heart to joy and to worship and exhilaration by just how incredibly good it is. That he loves you and he gave his life for you and he poured his spirit out upon you and he's given you so much more life than you ever could have wanted. And offensive. Because at the same time, he keeps needling around in your heart. 
At the same time, he, he keeps going after our addictions and our idols and our pride and our lust and our appetites. And the good news, friends, is that whether you are 20 or 30 or 40 or 12 or 80, he's never going to stop exhilarating you with his mercy. I hope that I am just as dumbfounded by his grace when I'm 80 as I am right now. And he's going to keep needling around in your heart because you are going to have sins to repent of until the day that you die. And he's going to keep working by his spirit to free our hearts from everything that enslaves and entangles us. So let's get off the fence with Felix. Let's follow Jesus with bold faith, with open repentance, giving him full permission in our hearts to poke and to prod and to call us out of death and into life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess uh, that so often we are so much like Felix, keeping you at arm's distance, keeping the claims of the gospel at a safe stretch away so that we can continue to live our lives, so that we can continue to satisfy and gratify ourselves. Lord Jesus, help us to receive the offense of the gospel. Help us to receive its critique of our pride and our lust, of our anger, of our greed, of our self-righteousness. And help us turn from those things so that we can be covered in your righteousness and your grace like a robe. So that we, in this life and in the life to come, can rest in your perfect righteousness. We can celebrate it and praise you for it for now and for forever. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org. 